You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Are you guys ready for a great night? All right, so they both preached... So I'm just going to do the altar call. If you need Jesus, <laughs> if you weren't there this morning, um, I really talked about the things that would hold you back from revival or what, what really stops revival. And uh, one of the things was tradition, religion, and uh, talking about how we get comfortable. And um, we get comfortable in just where we've been. You know, I said, you know, how many have come to this church? A lot of people raise their hand. We could do it now. How many of you come here every Sunday? And how many of you sit in that spot? <laughs> yes. Um, because we like, you guys sit two over, right? Right. You, switching it up, a little living on the edge, a little bit dangerous. Um, but we're, we're people of tradition, and we like what we like. And so that was one of the things I talked about, the Pharisees, and how they always told Jesus, that's not how we do things. And a lot of stuff that we've seen with revival coming through the country with the youth, we do youth conferences, we've seen kids at the altars just praying. We released for um, lunch with a two-hour break, and kids just stayed at the altars and prayed all the way through their lunch break into the next session. And so we're seeing revival go through the country, and um, God's not holding back revival. There's a lot of people praying for revival, and God's not saying, no, just wait a little bit longer. He's just waiting for people to stand up and be the revival. And so I was going through a lot of that this morning and talking about the change that's going to come. And I talked about the Jesus Revolution. And how many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? Yes, it was a great movie. We pushed that movie at Kingdom Youth Conference. Um, we know the producers. Um, and they were talking about, they feel like God was saying that the movie needed to happen. And so we were pushing the movie. The movie happened. But the week before Asbury Revival started to break out through the country before this movie came out. And it was cool because actually in California where Revival broke out in that movie was on Asbury Street. And so then it happened in Asbury at the college. God knows what he's doing, right? He's not... Uh, surprised by anything. And so we were talking about this movie and pushing it, and one of the big things was that these hippies weren't accepted. If you've seen the movie, um, it was a lot of the church people saying, that's not how we do things. You know, they don't look like us, they don't smell like us, and they just don't act right. They shouldn't be at church. They're not even Christians. And I was talking about um, how the pastor was going through that. The deacon said that if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But I'm speeding through my message this morning to get to where I want to go today. Um, but he was out there washing people's feet. And so I really believe that there is a revival coming, but it's going to be in a, a different way. So God's going to do a new thing. And that's kind of what we were talking about this morning, is that God's going to do a new thing. So get a little bit uncomfortable. Don't just get stuck in your traditions. And I wasn't going to, but on request of the guy that brought us in, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> um, we were in New York, or I was in New York preaching, and as I was preaching, um, how many of you have ever been to New York City? How many of you know that it's different than the middle of Missouri? Yeah. 
Um, so I was there preaching, and as I'm preaching, there was a, a gay couple here uh, with arms around each other, snuggling the whole time, yelling amen while I was preaching. And it was throwing me off because I'm from middle of nowhere, Minnesota, where the only thing we do is go ice fishing and eat lutefisk. And we were, that was a joke. Lutefisk is fish. It, I'll tell you later. So there's like, that is against the rules, all that stuff. Like if you do anything, you're probably going to hell in middle of Minnesota. Uh, we're just very conservative um, up there. And so all this was new. I'm in New York City. There's a couple here. There was some witches. There was a couple of lesbian couples. And I'm just sitting there looking around saying, God, where am I and why am I here? These people don't even know you. And yet I was preaching, um, actually it was the very week before, in small town Kansas where, you know, there's probably 100 people in the town and there's 150 people at the church because you have to go to church or you get kicked out, right? You have to go to New York City or something with the backslidden people. <laughs> um, but it wasn't, there was no fire there. I'm preaching, they're all just kind of staring at the ground. There's worship. Everybody's waiting for it to be done. Nobody can raise their hand. Nobody can sing. They're just kind of going, maybe it's because there's an organ. I have no clue. But it, it was different, and it was just very much religion. We're coming to church because that's what you do on Sundays. You come in, you check off that you went to church for the week, you go home and think nothing about God until next Sunday. And God, here I am, you know. And so I'm doing this, and then I do an altar call, and all these people that I was judging the whole time are just weeping at the altars and just praising God and worshiping God. And I was talking to the pastor, and I was saying, you know, pastor, why is this why is this like this, or what, what's happening? What am I missing? He said, you know, if, if I go to them and I say, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is sin, and you better turn or burn, he said, I'll never get to talk to them again. He said, do I actually win if, if I don't get to talk to them? So he said, what I do is I go up to people when they come in, and I say, you're welcome here. I love you, and we're a better church because you're here. We need you here. He said, don't put your, put your lifestyle on on them. But he said within a year or so, people, once they get close to God and the Holy Spirit starts to speak to them, he tells them, hey, you're not like this. You're not that. That's not who you are. And so much so where one of a couple of his leaders, they were a lesbian couple that were married for 20 years or whatever. And they came to church. The pastor loved on them. He didn't put them in leadership right away. So put that out of your head. But as they were there, they were doing devotions together, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, that's not who you are. That's not who I called you to be. And they looked at each other, totally delivered, and said, that's not who we are. And now they're in the church serving as leaders, looking and believing for husbands. And the Holy Spirit can do what you cannot do, <laughs> what we try to do, right? And, and all we can do is love on people and push them close to the Holy Spirit. He's the teacher. You preached my second half of this message. I don't know where I'm going at the end. Um, Okay, we'll bring you up. We'll do some joy of the Lord. We'll end it. But really, that, that had messed me up of just this, what I thought in my head of what Christianity should be. I'll tell you another story that I didn't tell you this morning. I went on tour with, um, it was uh, Brian Head Welch from the band Corn, And uh, we were touring for about six weeks together. And the guys that he brought with him on tour were a little rough around the edges. Um, great guys, but just like 
you'd pray for their salvation every night. Um, one of the guys would get so drunk, he would try to steal a Buffalo Wild Wings rug every night so that he could give it to the, one of the other drummers as a present for a drum rug or something. Like, it was bad. <laughs> He's like walking out the managers. What are you doing? I need this for a drum rug. No, sir. <laughs> but these were the, the Christians I was on tour with. I'm like, Lord, come now. And I'm, I'm literally praying to God. And I'm like, God, I'm from the middle of Minnesota. I, I loved you my whole life. I want to do ministry. And you put me out here with these people who aren't even saved. And what are you doing? And I went out into the back. And this guy's back there. There's probably 20 kids in the back. He's smoking a cigarette. And just there, I'm like, God. This is not a godly example. This is not, and I walked over to talk to him, and he's literally sharing his story about Jesus with them, and they're sobbing. And I'm like, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if he's doing that, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a Pharisee. (laughs) And it was literally like, don't worry about him, I'm working on him. What are you doing? You're here. You've been saved. You know right and wrong. What are you doing? I'm just judging, Lord. <laughs> Lord, I'm here to judge the others. I realized that that kid, his parents broke up. His mom was now a lesbian, and gr- he grew up from the age of four in the number one uh, strip club lesbian bar in Nashville, and somehow found himself to get saved in Jesus and still struggling through some stuff, but still witnessing to kids. And I'm there judging him because I grew up in a Christian family my whole life, and I know right and wrong. And he went through all of that and is preaching the gospel. And I'm like, God, you're messing with my head. And I go through all of that to say that there's revival coming, that there's something big that's coming, and we need to get ready. But what's it for, and what's it all about? And that's where I want to go tonight. And you did hit on a lot of my points. And so... I know that the Holy Spirit wants you guys to hear this tonight and where we're going. Because I want to talk about something, and that is the fear of the Lord. (laughs) That's crazy to preach because I'm a grace preacher. Well, somebody says, are you a grace preacher? I said, no, I'm a Bible preacher. But in the Bible, there's also the fear of the Lord. But we realize in 2 Timothy that God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of a sound mind. So we realize that fear is a spirit. So if you have anxiety and fear, depression in your life, and I know I'm talking to a lot of you. This is going crazy through not just the country, but the world. Fear, anxiety, that's a spirit of oppression coming on you that's trying to steal your joy. We'll get you back up here. Trying to steal your joy. So this spirit that is on you, God's not giving you a spirit of fear. So when I talk about the fear of the Lord, it can't be that. So what is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is to be afraid to not have God. It's afraid to be away from God. The fear of the Lord is a realization of who your father is. It's something bigger than that. Now, I am a grace preacher. I love to preach on Romans. I preach it all the time. But what is so important is I I see all these grace teachings and ministries and we know a lot of the same ones. And when you hit it so hard like that, uh, immature believers take it and they run and go do whatever they want. And that's a scary spot to be in because the grace message should actually set you free to live holy. 
It should be what, what sets you free to say, I'm no longer affected by sin. Sin doesn't affect me anymore. I can go do whatever I want, and I'm still righteous and as holy as I'm ever going to get. So I don't want nothing to do with any of that. That's scary to preach. And when Paul preached it, everybody said, wait a second, are you saying that we can do whatever we want? That's how, if you preach the grace message correct, that's how, what people's response should be. Wait, you're saying well, we could do whatever we want? And God's, no. And he said, certainly not. God forbid. Because when you preach grace, it should be followed up with the righteousness of God. When you have that revelation and those two blended together, you grow up as a Christian. And you become a mature believer. Because the fear of God is not to be afraid of God. It's a realization of who he is. Now there's a difference. You can be sin conscious or you can be God conscious. Right? You see, sin conscious is to be afraid of God. <laughs> when you are God conscious, it's the fear of the Lord. Um, you can see it with uh, Adam and Eve walking and talking with God every single day. And sin came in and they went and hid. And God said, where are you at? Because they weren't focused on God anymore, but their own sin. You see this in people in uh, probably that you know, that you're like, hey, you want to come to church? I do. I really want to come to church, but there's a few things I'm working through still. Because I can't come to church until I'm perfect. I can't come to church until God would love me. I can't come to church until, no, the grace of God loves you right where you're at. And so much more not to leave you there. I love you. I've forgiven you. You're as righteous and as holy as you're ever going to be. Now let's pull you up higher. And so the fear of the Lord, you see that even with Peter. Peter's there talking with God, or Jesus, same thing. And um, Jesus walks out and says, hey, Peter, have you caught any fish? And Peter's like, Lord, I'll look at my boat. <laughs> you know, it's empty. <laughs> Thanks for asking. He said, go out into deeper waters and cast your net on the other side. And uh, Peter was there, and he's like, Lord, I've been fishing all night. I know how to fish, right? But because it's you, I'll go out there and, and give it a shot. But see, one of the cool things about that story, too, is uh, I've heard that preach that the blessings of God is so much that it can even break your nets. Well, I don't really see it that way, because Jesus said, go out there and cast your nets. And Peter said, Lord, I've done it all night, but because it's you, I'll cast my net. So read it. It's plural that Jesus says, and then it's singular, which means disobedience will break your net. God's not going to give you stuff so much that it breaks your nets. God's going to tell you exactly what to do to contain all that he wants to give you. And so, but then when that happens, Peter comes back, and there's a different realization. He was talking with Jesus the whole time, and then he realized, this is a miracle. You're not just Jesus. You're God. And he falls at his feet and says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's, I'm afraid of your God, right? And I, I started to realize some of this in Scripture. You see, this is my son right here. Isaiah, raise your hand. He's the one with the good-looking hair. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, my dad, I really love my dad. He was a great father. And... I fear and respect my father, and he's loved me very much. He's done everything for me, 
And the fear of my father isn't, I'm afraid of my father. In fact, when I was young, it wasn't, I screwed up, I need to hide from my dad. It's, I screwed up, I need to go find my dad. That's the fear of God where it's, it's, that's what religion does. It's, no, you're, you're not good enough. I need to go fear God and run. No, you messed up in life. Fear God, go run to him because he's going to protect you from whatever it is. And so my dad, the, the fear of, God, of my dad in my life is that I respect him and love him enough not to go and just flick him in the ear or smack him in the face, right? And yet Christians today, we do that with God. There's no fear or respect of God. We go and do whatever we want with no respect or fear from God. And the devil in this world is teaching you that today. They're teaching you not to respect the police. Let's defund the police. Let's go riot in the streets. Let's go not respect authorities. Don't respect your teachers. Don't respect your boss. You do you. Why? Because if we can't respect those that we see, how can we respect him who we don't see? So the fear of God is a respect and an awe of who he is when you realize that's not just Father God, but God is here. And when that happens, that's when revival happens. That's when miracles happen. That's when something really is about to, to break loose. I want to read a story that is really popular along ministries. And when you're a guest speaker and you get to go in for the first time, you'll hear this story a lot. It's on Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> Before I get there, though, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Sounds scary? Um, Proverbs 10.27, did I just say that one? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord brings, or is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 10.27, The fear of the Lord prolongs your days. Does that sound scary? Psalms 19.9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. Proverbs 1533, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. None of those are scary. The fear of the Lord is not a scary thing. It's what makes you go to the next level. It's what is the beginning of knowledge. It's where you, when you understand that he's God, it's where you can actually move to the next level to get something done. But we have a, a well, he's God. I don't know if I should go to him right now. I'm working through some stuff. Um, but I want to look at Ananias and Sapphira. And me and Joe were talking about this the other day. And I brought something up to him, and he was like, I never even thought about that. So I was like, a point for Ryan? <laughs> Not that it's a competition, but I got a point. <laughs> this story is a tough one for me. Especially if you preach on grace. Like, because you preach on grace and the love of God, and you're under a new covenant and all this stuff. This is New Testament people falling over. <laughs> That's, that's different and tough to preach on. But if it's in the Bible, I don't want to skip over it. I want to figure it out. It says in uh, Acts 5, and it's 1. I'll start there. So Acts 5 and 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias, uh, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan uh, filled your heart and that you are to lie to the Holy Spirit and kept back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So there's something 
significant happen here. Now let's look at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is literally, we are done with the New Testament, or the, the Gospels. Jesus goes, Jesus raises from the dead, people see him, but he says, go and wait until that you will receive power. It's better for you to go. I'm not going to read that one. You, did, you nailed it. It's better for you to go, or for me to go, because if I go, I can send the, the helper. So go and wait. So Acts 2, we know the story. We preach that a lot. They come, tongues of fire, they're speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit is there. Now, this is brand new for everybody. This is something new. This is a, a brand new change. And when they go out there, they're preaching the gospel. Thousands are saved. All this stuff is happening. Now, they're not sure quite what's going on and what this is yet. And here, they're saying this, and he's saying, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And then he changes and says, why have you conceived in your heart and lied to God? He's making it very clear that the Holy Spirit is God. He's, he's making it clear so they can't, this, this is something serious. You're not just, this isn't just the Holy Spirit, something separate. You, this is God, and he's making a clear distinction in this. And so it says, then hearing these words, he fell down dead and breathed his last. So great fear talking about the fear of the Lord, came upon all of those who have heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And now it was uh, three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered, tell me uh, whether you have sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And young men uh, came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her by her husband. Now listen to this. So great fear uh, came upon all the church and upon all who had heard these things. Let's pause there for a second and we'll keep going. Um, so Acts, the Holy Spirit comes. They decide there's a man who brought... Um, he sold a big chunk of land. He laid it down at the apostles' feet. Everybody celebrated him. They named him encouragement, encourager, all this kind of stuff. And they were really celebrating what had happened. This is, was blessing everybody. He's got all of this attention. So in essence, these, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, I can do it. <laughs> they, they decided that they want the glory. They decided that they want attention. And so they're going to take what God was doing and put the attention on themselves. And so they, they came, and he said, why have you—wasn't this your land? You could give whatever you wanted. You didn't have to give anything. This was your land. But because you wanted to take what God was doing and turn it on to something that you did, why have you tested not just the Holy Spirit? That's God. And he dropped over dead, both of them. Now— I found this interesting because this was something brand new. This is when the Holy Spirit showed up. And it was like, you know, how many people have probably lied to the Holy Spirit or tried to deceive to make it about themselves since then and didn't die? So I was like, God, what is this? And this is where I get my point. I was praying about it and just thinking, and I was brought back to when God brought the law. He brought the law and gave everything out and laid it, and then somebody went and picked up a stick, and he said, stone him. Kill him. Because they need to know how serious this is. It's the same as when God said, no, we're doing something different than the law, now we're doing this. But I need to know how serious it is. 
you were made an example for everybody. Now, I don't want to say, you know, this is above my pay grade. If God dropped them over dead, if it was their sin and the holiness and righteousness of the disciples that were right there, this is above my pay grade. So I don't want to go into that debate. All I know is what the Bible says and what had happened. But I want you to see that there is something here. And right after this had happened, let's go into uh, 12. It says, and through the hands of the apostles, this is right after, great fear and trembling came upon all the church. And through the hands of the apostle, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And in Solomon's porch, according to this, and it, it keeps going down. And at 16, it talks about it. And it says, bringing the sick people out to those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So they went back. This fear of how it happened wasn't a scary fear. They realized God was there. And they went back and they weren't running to go hide. Two people drop over dead. I might be running out of the room. But two people drop over dead. They run out of the room and they go get every sick person and everybody tormented by an unclean spirit to bring them to the disciples. Why? Because God was there. They had a realization of the fear of the Lord where it didn't make them go run, but run and get everybody and bring them to God. So the fear of the Lord is that realization of that revelation of who God really is, and let's go get everybody because he's here. Um, there's power in the name, and, and Mark was talking about that a bit during worship, and there is power in the name of Jesus. You look at the names of God through Scripture, um, I love to do studies on the name. He's the healer, the provider, the, the banner, um, all this kind of stuff that they were saying because they didn't really even have the Bible. They just had some stories. So they were saying, God, our healer, God, our rock, God. Our, and they were going through all these of who he was and what they, he had done in their lives. And it's the name of God. And then Moses is there and he's up there talking with God. And he said, who should I tell him is sending me? Who are you? What, what should I say? And he said, tell them I am that I am. And I first read that, and I was like, I am that I am. I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, that's kind of mysterious. Um, what does that mean? Like, whatever will be, it will be. But no, I read it different, and I read, no, go tell them I am that I am. The I am that they said I was all those years, that's who I am. I am that I am. The one that they've been talking about for thousands of years, go tell them that's who I am. And here I am. And it's that same revelation of I am God, the same one when Jesus stood up and they came to take him and they said, where is this Jesus? And he said, I am. He wasn't saying, here I am. He's saying, I'm God. And they all fell over. The revelation of who God is is something bigger. There's powerful with the revelation of I am with God. When you serve, I am. And I always thought of this, there's power in his name. And you read different scriptures, you know, even uh, Mark 16, the Great Commission, in my name they will cast out demons, in my name they will lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover, in my name they'll do this, and in my name they'll do that, and in my name, in my name, in my name, and I think we get that mixed up because how many of you prayed, said, in my name, and nothing happened? It's not talking about using a magical phrase in his name or in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. Now, there is power in his name. Amen? 
there is something significant about the name of Jesus. That even people, the, the demons tremble. It, the name that every knee will bow. But it's not talking about after you pray, use this magical phrase in Jesus' name and it will happen. It's saying more of understanding who he is and going in his authority. When you go in his authority, that's going in his name. And not just adding a catchphrase at the end, but when you have a revelation of who he is on the inside of you, then you can take his name while you go. It's the same thing if uh, you go back in the days of kings and knights, and a king could be at war with another king, and they're going back and forth, and they're going to go to battle, and you want to, I'm going to send, you could send a peasant, but here, take the seal of the king. You're going to go in my name. Now, that peasant could have been shoveling whatever a little bit earlier that day, but when he goes over to that army and stands before the king with that seal, nobody's going to touch him, or else they've got a whole army coming at him. This is the same thing of in my name. When you go out, you carry my name with you because if anybody touches you, you've got a horde of angels right behind you. You've got all of heaven backing you up to go out there. In my name, now you can walk in confidence and a boldness. And when you go out there, there's something different. It's not saying, well, I hope you're healed in Jesus' name. Hakuna Matata, in Jesus' name. And that means no worries for the rest of your days. That's a movie. <laughs> I've got kids. But once you start to understand this revelation of the fear of the Lord and going in his name, when you fear the Lord, you, you mix it with grace. You don't ever get rid of grace. That, that grace, but then you mix it with the fear of God to know that, that grace, and you have a revelation of who God is. This is when you get revival. This is when you start to take, this is when you can actually love somebody. I want to read a couple more scriptures to you, if that's all right, in church. Go into John 16 really quick. John 16, 33. You guys know this scripture. I'm talking about all this stuff and authority and power, revival, something new. I'm talking about all this stuff for a reason, because this doesn't mean that uh, right now you get this revelation and, you know, after you go outside, there's going to be nothing but rainbows uh, for the rest of your days. It means that you've got a target now on your back and the devil's coming at you because you actually know who you are in Christ. Um, but it says this in John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. So this is what he was talking about. That's peace is that shalom. But inside of me, you're going to have peace. But in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in the world then. If there's going to be promises of tribulation out there, there's going to be promises of a tough time. I'd rather have peace inside of Jesus. I'd rather have that prosperity, wholeness, that shalom that he's talking about. I'd rather be as close as I can to the Father. I want that fear of God in my life so when this world starts to go crazy, I run to him and get under his wings and say, what are we going to do? Understand who he is on the inside of us so we, we move forward. And I talked to our, our team um, they're doing Bible school right now, and I'm talking to them about, you know, there's a lot of things that you are redeemed from. You know, 
And people say, well, in this world, you'll have tribulation. That's why I'm sick. That's why I'm going through this financially. That's not what it says. You are redeemed. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. By my stripes, you are healed. That's not what it's talking about. This tribulation is you're not uh, promised to be redeemed from persecution. Why? Because you look like him. If they hated him, they're going to hate you. So get ready for that. That's a promise. Even Paul talked about it, and he said, Lord, take away this thorn in the flesh. People talk about that being a sickness or an eye disease. That is a lie from the pit of hell. He talked about it, and he explained it. It's persecution. It was a messenger of Satan. He goes into talking about how many times he was shipwrecked and abandoned and stoned and, you know, just horrible things happened to him all the time. I prayed three times to the Lord to take away this thorn in my flesh. He was, a, he was a Pharisee. He knew Scripture. He knew the Bible. And three other times in Scripture, it talks about thorn in the flesh. And every single time, it was persecution. It was the Israelites that said, they're a thorn in the flesh to us. Because we're Christians. We're God's people. That city is a thorn in our flesh. They're coming after us. Paul was saying the same thing. God, take away this thorn in the flesh, this persecution. Why am I always in prison? Why am I writing the New Testament while sitting here in prison? Right? And God didn't say no. People say God said no. God didn't say no. I think he said yes. What did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace, everything that I paid for on the cross is enough that you need. It's going to get you through this. I'm saying yes to your request. Lord, take away this thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient for you. Let's do this. So we can walk through that persecution. In this world, you guys are going to have troubles. In this world, you've already all had troubles. It's not been easy. It's been a tough life for a lot of people. There's been stuff that wasn't fair. There's been situations that weren't fair. But in me, you'll have peace. In him, you can have the peace that passes all understanding. To know it's pretty windy outside. But in here, it's not so bad. I want to read another scripture real quick. It's in uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, and I'll start in 2. It says, We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, Remember without ceasing, this means don't stop, your work of faith. You know, sometimes it's, it's a lot of work to have faith. When you pray for something and it doesn't happen immediately, that's when the work begins. It's not just you've had faith and it happens immediately. It says don't cease in the work of faith, which means... You stay in faith until it happens. You're going to work your faith until your faith works. It says the labor of love. Let me tell you this. If you're in this world, there is a labor of love. It is not easy to love some people. There's a work of love and patience in the hope of our Lord Jesus you know, you got to be patient in some things because it doesn't just happen all the time like this. 
when we live in a fallen world, we, we get this revelation of Jesus and grace and, you know, the fear of the Lord. And now everything's supposed to just come together in this magical, it just works. No, there's still this, you got to work your faith, the labor of love. You got to steadfast in this. You've got to stay in the word. You got to stay inside of me and you got to continue in it. You got to fight for the things that you know are true. And all of this stuff, I was at uh, Christmas, all of this stuff is for a reason that I'm talking about this. I was at Christmas and I had, uh, I don't know if we're live, we're probably live. Hey, family. Um, <laughs> we're there and one of my family members is always sick. I'm a little older, but, and they said, you just have to face the, fa face the facts that literally when you get older, like stuff just stops working. You just face it. And I hate that. Because I never saw a scripture that said, just face the facts. I saw a scripture that said, you call those things that be not as though they were. And I hate even the saying, and I said it, I had to stop myself. We probably all said it. It is what it is. I hate that. Well, it is what it is. That means I give up. It is what it is. I'm just going to have to live with it. I don't want to live with it. I want to get in there and I want to have that faith work. I want to just, just work that faith until it, it breaks through. I want to push. I'd rather be standing. I'd rather die trying on what the Bible says than just roll over and say, ah, face the facts. Instead of facing the facts, I'd rather read the Word of God and then faith the facts. I'd rather take it and, and apply my faith to it. I went to uh, uh, the, the doctor the other day, chiropractor, and I had some pain in my back a few years ago. Uh, it snowed for the one day in Tennessee. And so me being from Minnesota had a brilliant idea that we should go sled down the biggest hill we could find, and that was my driveway. Um, but in Tennessee, it's different because everything is rock. And so I was going as fast as I could down this hill where you start to go too fast. And you're like, how, do, how does this end? When does it end? And I remember getting out of my yard, skipping over a ditch, hitting a road into the neighbor's yard, down a hill. And I'm like, oh, Lord, take me now. And I was coming to this uh, this ditch type thing, my son was with me, and I chucked him in the snowbank, and I went over the ditch, my, my butt hit the bank, and my back just went click, 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 and I laid there. I couldn't feel anything, and my son was like, what do I do, what do I do? I said, go get somebody, and I'm like, try not to cry, can't feel anything. I think I'm paralyzed. And my neighbor comes, I don't know if he's a Christian or not. He's like, what do you want me to do? I said, pray, brother, pray. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, Father God, help something. Do it like. And uh, my uh, neighbors brought me up to the house and they literally laid me in bed and I laid there for a week and I started to move and whatever. And it took me a while, but I still get some pain up in here. So much where a couple months ago, I think it was August, or so I went to the chiropractor and they did some x-rays and they're like, you know, your back's broke, right? I'm like, no. Well, it hurt. 
And they're like, yeah, you broke it. And they're trying to fuse together now and your hips are off because you compensate and um, you got all this stuff in your back and you got spurs growing and that's never going to get better. But we're going to start cracking it and hopefully we can save and you'll be able to walk when you're uh, 45 and 50. And I'm just looking at her and everything in my stomach started like, it was like a gut punch. And I'm like, because... I do youth events, and now oh, I can't walk in five years, ten years? What are you talking about? And they're like, we're going to try to save this back for you. You should have come in three years ago. I'm like, thank you. That's helpful. And while she was talking this, I said, I looked at her. I said, that's a lie. She's like, what? I said, the spurs are going to be gone next time you look to do an x-ray, which will be in a, a year. It's a year process that they work your back. I said, the spurs will be gone. There'll be growth inside of the the backbone and stuff like that. And she's like, that's impossible. I said, it's not impossible for God. And she's like, well, what? I said, I didn't come in here for you to fix me. I came in here to figure out what was wrong with my back so I know how to pray. And she said, well, then good on you. And so I... I knew which back parts it was. I knew the spurs. And so I began to speak over my back, and it's definitely a lot better. And I just can't wait to go back and just show her. But I had to go in there, and what she was saying was correct. Those were facts that she was telling me. She took x-rays, and I could either face the facts or I could fate the facts. I can go in there, and I could eat everything that she's telling me and go home and cry on the couch, or I can use the Word of God and change the facts into truth into what the Word of God says, that I'm healed, that I'm set free. It's literally, it's life-changing when you start to get into that. I love Peter walking on the water. You can't walk on water. It's impossible. Face the facts. You can't walk on water or you will drown. But Peter was smart enough to say, Lord, if that's you, and tell me to come. Because as soon as he said, come, he could faith the facts. It was no longer water he was walking on. It was the word of God. And I'm telling you that all of the stuff that we talked about, change and all of that is for revival to come into people that don't look like you, they don't smell like you. You're going to love people, but what they need is mature believers. People who know how to faith the facts. People that know who they are in Christ. People who can hear a situation and not say, oh man, that's horrible. But say, but God. Because when you start to hear stories from people, our instinct goes into, wow, that is bad. And now you're feeding into and you're giving words to what they're already believing. Instead of saying, no, no, no. Let's start to believe this way. Let's start to speak this way. Let's begin to have faith this way. We call those things that be not as though they were. I'm going to tell you a story about Arizona, and I don't know why. I was in Arizona. And this lady was taking me to the airport, and she had twins. And one of the girls, and one was a boy. The boy was very autistic and couldn't speak. 
And so we, we got to meet a cool kid, very friendly. He was awesome. Um, but the daughter was just normal. But she was there, and what had happened is uh, Creflo Dollar came to the church. And I don't care what you think about him, whatever. That has nothing to do with my story. But he called her out and said that you have a gift of healing to this girl. And she was telling me, she wasn't telling me about the two kids because we stayed with the kids. But she was telling me about her daughter. And (laughs) I don't know why I'm saying this. She was telling me about her daughter and just said, that her daughter was there, he called her out, he prayed for somebody, totally got healed, then he called her up, laid hands on her and said, now you pray. And this little girl started to pray for people and healing, 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 healing happened with this 14-year-old girl. And it was because he spoke life into her. He called that wasn't there at the moment into what was. And she believed it enough that she started to pray for people and they all got healed. And she said, what do you think about that? And the first thing out of my mouth, I should have slapped myself. I said, isn't it crazy how God at birth saw a need and put the answer right next to it for your two kids? One needed a miracle. One has a gift of healing. And she stopped the car and looked at me and said, she started bawling and said, I've never even thought about it. And we've never even prayed over him. It's just been his whole life. And we've lived with it. And she always would say his, his autism, his this, his that. She said, I'm going to stop claiming that. That's not him. We're going to pray over him. We're going to speak life over him. We're going to call those things that be not as though they were until. If it doesn't happen today, what if it happens in a year? What if it happens in two years? I'd rather speak the word over this kid than just sit back and say it is what it is. I'd rather start to work the word. I'd rather step into faith and believe again. Because it's hard because I've done it. Where you step forward in faith once, and it doesn't happen like you think. Then you step forward a second time with a little less faith. And then the third time, we'll see what you do, God. You step forth to say, I hope you do it, but you probably won't. You haven't done it yet. And then you say, God, if you're ever ready, I'm here. It's time for us to stand up again. Because every time we get into that spot, the devil says, amen. You quit, amen. And I don't care what it is, what situation, if it's a promise in the word of God, then I want to stand on it. I want to believe on it. I want to faith the facts until we push through into victory. And if I have to die trying, I remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were there and they said, we will not bow down to this idol. We will not bow down and our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, still the right thing to do. And I want to get to a spot where I'm going to say, I'm going to pray, I'm going to speak life, and I'm going to see God move. 
and he will come through and he will deliver, he will set free, he will heal, he will, but even if he doesn't, that's what he said to do. Thank you, God. I'm going to end with one verse. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Why is that? I'm going to go into it. It says, Let the gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, if you don't learn anything, learn this. Be anxious for nothing. Don't have anxiety for nothing. But what should we do instead? But in everything, by prayer and supplication. How do we pray? With thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. You see, we often come to prayer with God with anxiety in our heart. God, you got to show up now. You got to show up now. You got to show up now. How are you supposed to pray? It says in all things, you pray with thanksgiving. When you pray with thanksgiving, it's a different type of prayer. It's, I thank you, God, that my child is healed. I thank you that my marriage is solid. I thank you, God, that my finances are met. God, I thank you. That's a prayer of thankful. Be anxious for nothing. But you want your request to be known to God? Come and pray. Don't cease with thanksgiving in your heart. And what does that do? Let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, that shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, what will it do? It will guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. This is the season that we need to guard our heart and our mind. We need to renew our heart and our mind. We need to protect ourselves from what everybody else is saying, what doctors are saying, what the world is saying, what news is saying. We need to guard our heart and our mind. And how do we do that? We be anxious for nothing. But we run to our Father because we know the fear of the Lord. We come into the protection of His arms. And with prayer, we give thanks for what He's already done and He promised us. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is a written contract of what our God will do. But when the devil gets in there and starts to screw stuff up, sometimes we question it. And we say, if it's the will of God, instead of, God, I thank you. You already told me it's your will. And we try to look at the Bible and interpret what it says based off of what we experienced. I've gone through this and this, so this verse has got to mean this. Instead of reading the Word of God and let it transform our experiences. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit Overcomers Church International dot com.